Well, good morning, ABC. What a joy it is to meet you here on this Resurrection Sunday morning in the most unique of environments that I personally have celebrated, uh, Easter, and that is with you on the other side of a screen. And so th this is the first time that an Easter message from me has been preached to my cell phone, and, and so I am uh, certainly thinking of you as I'm preaching this message and considering all of you on the other side of the screen. And just want you to know that even though we are not able to gather together, what a privilege it is that we're able still to communicate and sit under the Word of God together as we're scattered all over Tuscaloosa. And it's been a sweet reminder for me today, you know, as I've considered, you know, all of the things that I wish we could do on Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, uh, but instead to be removed from that thought of all of these tasks that I wish we could accomplish, and instead just to think on and celebrate together what God has accomplished in Christ and what, what Christ has done for us, and ultimately what He is still to do. And so wherever you are today, I pray that this will meet you and it will be a great encouragement to you today. I want you to know that the message this morning is going to be directed to the church. It's directed to you who are in Christ. And so this morning, I want this to be a deep encouragement of not only what Christ has done, but ultimately what Christ is still to do. But with that being said, no matter who you are, uh, even if you're a person who you say, I'm skeptical of the Christian faith and I just accidentally clicked on this or I am desiring to learn more about what Christians believe, I want you to know this is a great day and a great message for you to listen in on and to learn uh, about ultimately what we're going to see is what is what is the ultimate Christian hope. That, that's what we're going to study today. And so to you and to everybody, I want to say this, is that the gospel of Jesus has a now and it has a not yet. There are things that are good news for me that are already a reality in my life today as I sit here in Christ. I'll give you a couple of those. One is this, is that I am right before God. It's the Christian term or the theological term would be justification. I am justified today in Christ Jesus. The Romans 8, which is actually the text that we're going to study today, or a portion of Romans 8, Romans 8 chapter 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. There's no more judgment for those in Christ Jesus. And, and what that means is because of what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross, it, he, he's accomplished something in a full and final way on the cross that is applied today to everyone who is in Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he who knew no sin became sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the very righteousness of God. The, the beauty is this, of the now in the gospel. I am right before God. I have peace with God. In 10,000 years, I will not be more right with God than I am today in this very moment in Christ. Okay, And so there's beautiful truth for the now. There's good news for me right now. There's so many other good news. Like, I'm forgiven of my sin. I'm a child of God. I am promised these things right now in Christ Jesus. 
Okay, and so there are there's a list that we could go on and on about about the things that are true about me right now. But what I want to connect with you on today is this: is I want us to look at the not yet. I want us to look at what the resurrection of Jesus and what the hope of the resurrection of all Christians, what that says to our hearts and the good news that is found there. Romans chapter 8 is going to give us a beautiful text about what has not yet come and what is still to be and the hope that is before us. And I believe that this this Resurrection Sunday morning, that if we can set our gaze on that, if we can understand what the ultimate Christian hope for us is in Christ, that it will radically transform the way we view any of our present circumstances. It will give us hope. It will help us to endure, and it will help us to live well. And so today, may this be a great encouragement to you and spoken over you today. And so let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump right in. Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, I pray that today that you would give us eyes to see it and you would give us ears to hear. Help us to understand the good news of Christ. Help us to understand the good news that, yes, is ours now, but also the good news that is still to come, the hope that is before us, that what we are experiencing right now is not the final word, that there is still more to come. In fact, the best is yet to come in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to see that today. Change our lives as we see it. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, if you will, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be picking up in verse 18, and we're going to read down through verse 25. And, And so I've been thinking a lot recently about, you know, what life is going to be like on the other side of COVID-19. You know, what's it going to be like on the other side of what has been, you know, I mean, it has certainly been a time and is continuing to be a time of much suffering and much change and much inconvenience. But I thought, what's it going to be like on the other side? And when I talk to people, you know, they're, they're kind of dwelling on that. And I think it's a great question to ask. I think there are, there's a lot of thoughts that we should put into that. And I think that this time period is even in a very real way, it can be a grace to us in the sense that we're learning to care about things in a greater way and appreciate the beauty of community, I think, even more. There are certain things that I am thankful for now that I didn't really think of to be thankful for a few weeks ago. And so I'm great for the grace that God has brought during this time. But there's certainly a lot of questions about what's going to be on the other side of COVID-19. Today, what I want us to look at is the hope that's bigger than that, but it's the hope that's on the other side of all sickness, of all suffering, of death itself, of the presence of evil, and any presence of the curse that came through the fall. We want to look at what is on the other side of, you know, of that. And what's on the other side of not just one sickness, but all sickness and even death. So Paul is going to address that in Romans chapter 8, verses 18, 18 to 25. And so let, let's look there. He says these words in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so 
when Paul says this, we should listen because this dude knew a lot about suffering. Okay, Paul suffered much for Christ. You can read about his sufferings in his letter to the church at Corinth. I mean, he was beaten. He was imprisoned. He was sick often. He was shipwrecked. I mean, he's got all kinds of you know, testimonies to what suffering looked like in his life. We certainly know that he understood, you know, what sufferings meant. But he said that I can consider in the sufferings of this present time to not be worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And what he's saying here is not that because of the Christian hope that we act like suffering's not a big deal or that we overlook it, or we deny it. He, he's not saying that at all. Paul, of all people, he, he's great talking about his own suffering. He does, my, he does it often. But what he's saying is this, is that he is able to see something that speaks a better word over his life than the sufferings that, he, that he's in. And it's the glory that is to be revealed. It's something that is in his future. His future glory is so great that it radically impacts the way he deals with present suffering and present circumstances. He's going to talk about this glory in the rest of these verses. And, and so what the question that we need to ask is, what is this glory that is still to come? Like, What is this not yet that Paul is talking about? There's another place in 2 Corinthians that he's going to talk about you know, or, or have a similar saying. He says this. He says that we do not lose heart. This is Second Corinthians chapter four, verse sixteen. He says that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse seventeen. Listen to these words. He says, "For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison." As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. What he's saying is this. He's saying that there's something that is so great in our future. There's something that God is going to do in Christ and through Christ that's so spectacular that it makes even the greatest sufferings that we go through today a light momentary affliction. He's not saying that when somebody's suffering that you say, oh, it's not a big deal. This is just a light affliction. That's not what he's saying. He's saying the weightiness of it. No matter how weighty the suffering is in this life, he's saying that if you put it on the scales, that the weightiness of the glory is even greater, that it speaks a better word, that it's, it's so great that it helps him to endure anything and persevere through anything. And so, we see that here in this verse. So, for, for I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so the question that we need to ask is, Paul, what is this glory that is to be revealed to us? And, you know, good for us. He talks about it in the very next verse. And so look with me there at verse 19. We want to soak this up. Listen to this. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing." For the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. The, the glory that Paul says is to come is that the curse will be reversed, that the curse that came from the fall, that it will be reversed, that, that it will be gone, that the earth and all of the children of God will be fully and finally redeemed and restored and reconciled to God in Christ Jesus in a new heaven and in a new earth. This is the glorious good news that Paul is proclaiming over us. This is the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's that one day that we will be made new in a full and final way, that we'll receive a new body, and the earth will be made new. It will be restored. It will be redeemed. It will be renewed. The curse will be lifted. That's what Paul says. And so let's just look at the the scripture here. It, it says that creation waits with eager longing. Now, I, I personally love this because what Paul's doing is something that you find, you know, like the prophet Isaiah doing as well, is he's going to communicate to us about the creation by personifying it. Okay. And so what he does here is he's talking about the creation. This is this is mountains and hills. This is stars. This is, these are animals and fields, the flowers. This is the creation itself. That creation waits with eager longing. And the phrase eager longing is one that we're going to dwell on in our conversation today. Eager longing is a phrase that really means like to stretch one's neck, okay, as if trying to see what is to come. So stretching one to be able to peek over to see what will come next or what is out there making its way toward us. It says that creation waits like this with a stretched neck. What is creation wanting to see? It says that the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of, of the sons of God. The sons of God here, that's referring to all of the people in Christ. And what creation is waiting to see is the day when Christ returns and he gives the church, he gives his people new bodies. That we, we have the redemption of our bodies, as we'll read about in just a little bit in verse 23. That that day, that creation is waiting to see that. They're waiting to see us put on display. They're, they're waiting to see us. It's almost like a spectacle of the church. They're longing to see our new look. They're waiting to see what we look like redeemed and renewed and restored, fully and finally glorified in Christ Jesus with new bodies like a body like Jesus Christ has today. Jesus raised from the dead. He was the first fruits of the resurrection. And then when he returns, we will be raised or we will have a resurrected body like his. Creation's waiting to see this happen. They're longing to see us in our newness put on display. Why? Verse 20 says, For the creation was subjected to futility or to vanity. 
not willingly, like there was no vote by creation, you know, where the trees say, you know, hey, we, we've got our hands up right now. We vote, you know, to be cursed. No, it, it didn't happen that way. Okay. It, creation was subjected to fertility, to a curse, not willingly, but because of him, that's God, who subjected it. If you read Genesis 3 and you see the fall of man, it's there that not only there's a curse now over mankind that all comes, that comes through Adam. Uh, you know, namely that we're separated from God and we will die, okay? That's how we're born. That's the natural man. But not only were we cursed, but also so was all of creation. You know, that, that thorns and thistles would be what characterized the earth. And as beautiful as the earth is, and it is beautiful, it is grand. Like, I want to explore so much of this world. But even in its beauty... There is great brokenness. The creation itself is broken. And, and really what you see is this, is in Genesis chapter 1, you see that, that mankind, man is created, and then under man is the rest of creation. Like for us to subdue it, for us to care for it, and, 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 and have dominion over it. And so when we fell, so did everything under us. And so what we see is the curse was not only applied to Adam and Eve, but it was applied to all of the creation. Not only is it applied to us, you know, to, to mankind, but it's also applied to the mountains and to the hills and to the trees. This past Sunday, we worked in our yard for hours, okay? And part of the reason why we worked in the yard for hours is because Earlier in the week, we certainly saw some of this brokenness as there was a storm that came through and wind blew down two trees. One of them knocked down the power lines at our house and went over our driveway and the other one hit our house. And, and so we, we felt it. Okay, We felt the curse uh, last week as that happened. But also on Sunday when we were just cleaning up and working in our yard... We had to rip up, and I hate to say this, we had to rip up some dead azaleas, okay? So, like, there's just few things worse than, you know, something that can be so beautiful as an azalea being dead and you having to pull it up. But we did that, and so after, you know, pulling up the dead azaleas, we realized other things that need, needed to be done, like the removal of kudzu, okay? If there's anything that, to me, points to the evil that is found in creation, it's stinking kudzu, okay? That stuff you know, be creeping on everything and wrapping itself around and just killing stuff, okay? And so, we, man, we ripped up kudzu. We took down vines that were just like hugging our trees, trying to suck the life out of them. And, and what we saw was this. I mean, and I'm not trying to be funny. And when we were ripping up and, and getting ripped up as well, I, I have still have scratches and cuts on my legs and arms. But while we were doing that, what we saw was the bondage that creation's under. It was just a little picture of it. This morning, we felt it again. Uh, and by the way, this morning for me is Thursday morning. <laughs> you are on Sunday. I am on th Thursday currently. But this morning, there was a storm that was coming through, and we were scared because of the trees that came down last week. But there was another storm that came through, and there was high winds, and there was the expectation of potential hell that was going to come. And I mean, it was just once again a reminder that creation is broken. That it's it's not what it is intended to be. As beautiful as it might be, it is still so broken. There's a curse over it. And so 
what we hear, see here with what Paul's saying is, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free. And what he's saying is, because there's hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so what's happening here is the reason why creation is stretching its neck to see you know, what will happen when we are, as God's people, as children of God, restored and redeemed and given new bodies. The reason why it's looking for that is, is because when that takes place, the earth itself, all of creation itself, will also be redeemed and made new. There will be a new heaven and a new earth, even as we receive new bodies. This is the hope found in the resurrection of Christ. This is the resurrection of the dead that happens when Christ returns, that we will also, like Christ, receive new bodies, and the earth will be made new. The curse will be lifted. The curse will be reversed. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And I like to think about this where just think about when I hear the wind blow, the trees saying, come God, come, come Lord Jesus, come, come make us new, make all things new. That when we hear, you know, when we look at the creation, we know that it, it's crying out, it's groaning, it's eagerly longing for God to make his final and full uh, redemption in Christ when he comes a second time and he makes all things new. Verse 23 says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Now I want to take some time here in verse 23. It's saying not only does creation groan, but so do we. That we, the children of God, that we groan, we groan, we wait, we desire him to come and make us new. And I think a lot of times we do that without even realizing that we're doing it. Part of this message, the desire is that we're going to learn to groan purposefully. We're going to le- learn to grow in our groaning. But there's so much of our lives that I believe that we, we groan like this without even realizing. We desire him to come and make us new even when we're not even being intentional about it. Part of the reason is because the first fruits of the Spirit that's in us, that the Holy Spirit is in us, in the people of Christ. And we're told later in Romans 8 that the Spirit himself groans for us. He prays for us. We're told that Jesus intercedes for us. He's our mediator. And so, I mean, even when we're not even trying to, I believe the scripture is telling us that that the spirit in us is groaning for our renewal, for our redemption. Even on the days when we may not feel like we need it. Even in the days when we feel like we've got it, you know, we've got everything that we need. See, it's times like this. It's times like when we're at home because of a virus. Because of where the shadow of death is showing itself to be clearly at work, you know, and, and visible in our creation. 
all around the world. You know, COVID-19 is helping us to groan. It's helping us to see our need for him to make all things new, for us to say, hey, this is not what it's supposed to be. You know, what we see today and what we're experiencing today is not the best that is to come. Like there's, there's more than this that is to come in Christ Jesus. He's not finished. We see that, but there are days when you know as well as I do that, that you probably have, you know, man, you're feeling healthier, you know, things are going well, there's money in the bank, and maybe in those times you're not groaning with the same intensity that you are today. Even then, even then, the Spirit of God in us groans. The Spirit of God groans in ways that we didn't even know, you know, we didn't even know what to say or how to cry out. The Spirit does in us. But but not only do we see, you know, the Spirit praying for us and, and for us, you know, us groaning, but it says that we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly. I want us to consider the phrase first fruits of the Spirit. Here we see that God has done something in Christ in the now that is important to take note of. And that he has he has changed our life, he's resurrected in a sense our hearts, you know, so that we who were dead are now alive in Christ Jesus. The spirit who raised Jesus from the dead has been at work in us bringing us to life in Christ. Okay? That is certainly the case. And because of that, because we have the, the Spirit in us, we have the very power and life of God in us, we now, in Christ, are the first fruits of His new creation. Okay, Christ is the first fruits of resurrection, and then it will be us. But we also get to play a part in Christ as the first fruits of His new creation. And what that means is this, is, is that though, you know, the world is certainly cursed, though there's certainly a curse over mankind and, and over all creation, in Christ, in his new creation, people can look as if in a window to see the beauty and the work of the gospel of God. That We say this often as a church that, we are called to be a witness of Christ, to be proclaiming the glory and the beauty of the gospel of Jesus. But also we're a window, a window for anyone and everyone to look through to see the love and the beauty and the work of Christ, to see the life of God in us, to see what new creation looks like, to see the work of the new kingdom. And it's a foretaste of new heaven and new earth. And, and we see that even in our lives, that we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we are groaning inwardly as we wait eagerly for what we know is to come. We have the foretaste of it now, but we know that there's something that's going to happen in a full and final way when Christ returns, and we can't wait for it. We're eagerly longing for it. Now we have our necks stretched out looking to see the day when he comes again. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. And I want to make a quick note on adoption as sons. If you read the verses previous to the section that we're in, there's certainly a great word on us as adopted children of God, how God is our Father. We, we cry to Him. He's our Abba Father. Oh, this is so true for us in the now. But what this is saying is this, is even though we are legally children of God, there's a, f uh, a 
full and final way that our adoption will take place as well. When we will be with Him. We will be with Him in person. God will dwell with us. We will have our new glorified body that's imperishable. We will be with Him in this way. And that is the full and final beautiful uh, picture of our adoption as sons. And it says the redemption of our bodies. Listen, we are waiting a new body, a physical body, a body that we will be given. Like this body today, I mean, I want to work on mine. You want to work on yours. We want to be as healthy as we can possibly be. I want to have all the vitamin C and vitamin D that I can get. I want to work out. I want to be in the best shape possible. I want to make sure my heart, you know, I'm keeping it in the best health. I I mean, I want to do all of those things. I think it's so important to take care of our bodies. But I also know this, that this body is not all that there will be. I don't know exactly what my resurrected body will be like, but I know that it will not be perishable like this one. I know that the new body that I get will be like Christ in His resurrected form. I will get one that will never fade. It will never get sick. It will never have back pain. It will never be broken. It will be new like Christ. I know this is coming for me. The ultimate Christian hope is grounded in, in Christ, there being a new heaven and new earth that we live in. It's not in us being taken off somewhere and going to heaven, but it's in heaven coming to earth. It's in God making all things new in Christ. Us having new bodies and all of creation being made new as well. I love Philippians chapter 3, I believe, says this really well. It says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior. It doesn't say that our citizenship is in heaven, and so we're going to go and meet him there. That's not what it says. It says that we are awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, listen to what he'll do, will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We await him to come and do this work, and he will. He's going to come. And the glory that Paul is seeing, that he's waiting on, is when Christ comes and he redeems not only the creation, but he redeems us, his people. We see this in that 2 Corinthians 4 passage that I read. You know, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And because it says, you know, it says our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed day by day, you might think that what is waiting for us is something less than physical, but that's not the case. It's just, it's just a very different uh, body that we will receive. It's one that's not perishable, but it's one that's imperishable. He talks about it right after that. He says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, referring to our body, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, currently, we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. That's what we are waiting on, and that is what Christ is going 
to do. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, it's undefiled, and it is unfading, kept in heaven for us. And we await from heaven our Savior who will come and he'll bring this transformation and this goodness into our lives. So, from that, let's look at verse 24. Paul goes on to say, For in this hope we're saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hebrews chapter 11 gives us an Old Testament picture of this is you've got all of these saints from old how they are practicing this how they have their hopes set not in what is before their eyes but what has been promised to them it says that for them this is verse 13 of hebrews 11 these all died in faith not having received the the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. This does not mean that we don't care about the earth. It just means that we recognize the fullness of what God has promised to do on this earth and in our final home. Hebrews chapter 12 gives the perfect example of this in Christ Jesus. It says that Jesus, that we're to look to him, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, on something that was to come. For the joy before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What a great word. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying, that this is a glory that is so great that I can endure any suffering. That the suffering of this present time is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. Before we close this out, I want to give you a couple of takeaways for today that I pray will be an encouragement to you. It certainly has been to me and to my own life. The first takeaway is based on what we've read and studied is this, is that I want to grow in my groaning. I want to grow in my groaning and I want to shepherd you and pastor you to learn to groan as well, to grow in your groaning. Part of this is to learn to lament the presence of sin, you know, to learn to lament the presence of evil and the fall and everything connected to the curse, to learn to lament it in me and around me. I want to grow in my understanding that this is not all that there is, like that what I'm experiencing today, no matter what the suffering is, that it's not the final word over my life. Instead of trying to build a world that is clear of suffering and get really good, and and I've gotten pretty good at this, at turning my head quick enough not to see the impact of the curse that's in front of me or around me or even in my own life, I want to stare at it and mourn it 
And I want to know that suffering, evil, and even death doesn't have the final word in my life or in this world. I want to grow in my groaning. Another part of this growing and groaning is, is, is this, that I want to fix my eyes on what Christ has promised to do. I want to fix my eyes on what the Bible says is the ultimate Christian hope. I want to see it. I want to cling to it. I want that to be what I have in my focus. I want to see what he's promised to do. I believe that the more that I understand or the more that I grasp the glory that will be, I will long for his coming. I will long for him. I'll have a stretched neck waiting for him to come again. I'll eagerly await him and what he's going to do. I'll yearn for Christ to come again and heal and redeem and restore and make new. I want to feel the weight of this glory in the depths of my being and my thinking. And I want to see it as the best of news. I know that I don't always see it that way. And, and you don't either. You at least don't have that driving you at all times. But we want to. We want to see it and to truly believe that it's the best of news. It's truly the greatest of news. It's the gospel of Christ, that Christ will come and one day I will be new and the earth will be healed and our God will be physically present with his people. May my head be uplifted and stretched forth, looking for him and waiting for him, expecting his glory. I want you to know, based on this text, and as we keep reading in Romans 8, or, or if we kept reading, that understand that the Spirit helps us here. We mentioned it earlier, but the Spirit helps us to know how to groan. In fact, the Spirit even groans for us. And so we can always trust that God is working in us, even teaching us how to groan. I've been praying this for you this week as I prayed a prayer from Ephesians 1 over your life, and I'll, I'll share that with you. I, it says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance? in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. I've been praying that for you this week. May we grow in our groaning. The second thing is this. This is the second takeaway and the final takeaway. Is I want to grow in my waiting. I want to learn to wait patiently yet purposefully. I believe that Christians should be so heavenly minded that we are of all people on the planet of earthly good. I believe that because of what we know Christ is doing and, and what he's done and what he's doing and what he's still to do. But because we're so focused on Christ and because we're so heavenly minded that we are of all people on the planet of earthly good. A another way of saying this would be that our future glory, what we know is to come, that our future glory should radically impact or even transform how we live in any and every uh, one of our present circumstances. So what that means, a couple of different things is this. is One, it means that I, I can endure. 
That no matter what the suffering is today, I can endure. I can persevere. I can look suffering in the face, even the shadow of death right in the eyes, and yet have the full assurance that it will not have the final word over me. It will not. Christ has defeated, and he will one day destroy. So to the sick, the suffering, or even the scared, I want to speak to you for a second. The gospel of Jesus does not encourage you to act like these things in your life aren't a big deal. The gospel of Jesus just speaks a final and a better word over us that what could ever, I mean, over speaks over us a better word than anything that could ever come against you or me. That nothing can stop or nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can stop him from making all things new. Our hope is sure, and we praise his name. But not only can I endure, can I persevere, you know, can I look any suffering in the face, not only can I do that and does our future glory speak a word into my life there, but also I can live with a whole new set of values and directives. Because of what I see in our future glory, it can affect the things that I value today. It, it can affect the way that I move and the way that I live. It can affect my purpose today. Give me intentionality in the now. See, in new heaven and new earth, we see the values of Christ displayed in his new creation. I'll give you some examples of that. New heaven and new earth is a place where there is no injustice. There's no hatred. There's no racism. There's no looking down on other people. There's no disregarding a neighbor. There is instead perfect love, love for God and love for one another. Today, I want the kingdom of heaven to come to earth through my life and through my love in Christ as I love God and as I love my neighbors, I've been loved by Christ. I want to value each and every person that I come in contact with with the value system of new heaven and new earth. In new heaven and new earth, there will be no more COVID-19, no more diseases of any kind, no more cancer. In new heaven and new earth, there will be no more death. Death will be destroyed. Finally, death will die. And, and though on, the, on this side of our future resurrection, we know that these things certainly exist, that's very apparent for us today, and will continue to, we can pray with confidence in God's healing ability and his desire to do so, his desire to bring healing to our lives. We can always know that he cares. We can care for the sick and even the dying in a more defined way because of what we see in our future hope in Christ. See, in new heaven and new earth, there will be no more hunger. There will be no more thirst. There will be no more physical, emotional, or even social poverty. For God will have reconciled all of this through the work of Christ Jesus. Because of this, I am more encouraged, not less, to fight poverty in the name of Jesus, knowing that Christ's work includes the ending of poverty itself. I could go on and on, but the way that I've said this before is that we believe that what we believe about our life 10,000 years from now ought to encourage what our lives look like today. That, that is what we see. And I want my waiting to be done patiently, and yet I want my waiting to be done purposefully to the glory of God and the coming of His heart for His creation. This Resurrection Sunday, May we see the beauty and the glory of our future resurrected hope. May we grow in our groaning 
And may we learn to wait well with patience and purpose. Church, I love you and your God loves you. He is with you. He is for you. He is absolutely never against you. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We are more than conquerors. Grace and peace to you on this Resurrection Sunday. Love you.